Hi everyone, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Expert Answers from Inside Scientific. Inside Scientific is the online environment for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content that helps you do your best work. Today we are joined by James Clark and Graham Sattler. James is the Program Director of Human and Applied Physiology at King's College London. Graham is the Product Development Manager at Indus Instruments, a company known for its solutions in preclinical cardiovascular research. They're here today to discuss how to improve hemodynamic study outcome consistency by monitoring vital signs during surgery. Let's jump in. We've got some questions about MI. Graham, perhaps you can comment. A specific question was, are there any labs using the mouse monitor to evaluate and confirm that, like their technique on generating an MI using the ECG morphology? Yes, yes, there's a couple of labs that we've worked with. It seems like we get a lot of requests for this, actually, where people are looking for an easy way for them to capture ECG and to uh, confirm proper MI technique in terms of end results. And having the high resolution and low noise that we have, it's a definitely an ideal, solu- ideal application for the mouse monitor as to confirm this. Do you have anything additional to, to add, uh, Dr. Clark? I, I would actually just echo what Graham said. We use an AD Instruments BioAmp to do all our, our ECGs up until the use of this, this system. And yeah, noise-free ECG is actually quite hard to get in a surgical environment when you've got 500 other machines all making as much electrical noise as they can do. So I, I would applaud any system that can produce noise-free ECGs. And we've certainly used it, as you've seen from our data, to characterize uh, ECG morphology during MI. So yeah, absolutely. I know we didn't touch on that too much, but without getting into too much engineering detail, attention to to, ground, to reducing grounding noise was one of the key priorities and was something we spent a lot of effort with on the system to make sure that we could integrate really well with the variety of different approaches that the companies have to implementing their, their different technologies and their grounding solutions. We've had really good response from integrations with a, a wide variety of different instruments that we're, we're capable of uh, dealing with and responding to uh, the different ways of thinking that those engineering's have, engineering teams have. So that was definitely a big piece of our engineering work. And it's very fitting, uh, James, as you mentioned during your presentation for the PV loop application. It's actually critical when you start integrating other equipment that carries an electrical signal or measures one. It, yeah, it's absolutely critical that there's time spent to any effect to the conductance signals and the way that they're collected by the pressure volume catheters. So for this particular series, that's a great point and a uh, good thing that this particular product has proven to work well you know, in concert with PV systems. So. Yeah, I guess uh, another question that's come in is just very simple. I mean, the mouse monitor has been presented as a solution for mice, but there's been some questions about using it on other rodents. So, Graham, can you just, is there an official list where this particular system as it's offered today is suitable? Sure. We actually have a couple of different sizes of electrodes that are attached to the top of the device. There's a couple options in software to select either a rat model in different orientations or a mouse model. And so we support both mice and rats, and we've actually worked with a a lab here in Texas that is working on naked mole rats, and it works just great with them. We've also uh, seen it work with a a bat model and also uh, larger rodent models like a couple of other different types of rats, like, um, geez, I'm I'm not recalling the actual varieties, but we also have a set of external ECG electrodes that supports different animal sizes and different animal needs in terms of electrode placement. So it actually works for a wide variety of different investigational species, definitely. 
Okay. And, I, and actually, I'd assume just on that point you made about the external electrodes, I mean, that's uh, a very important feature, again, for any surgical monitoring station, but something for someone to consider, and James, perhaps you can comment on this, is the fact that at times the, at the an orientation of the animal on your surgical pad, you know, is not necessarily going to be that limbs can be taped down to collect ECG. So we certainly don't always have our mice lying supine or prone right. on, their, on their sides. They may be uh, in any direction. I think having the external probes, I mean, that's the traditional way that most of us are used to using ECGs, so having a traditional either implantable or connectable probe is a very handy thing. And something else that's worth remembering, and this certainly affects us, is during recovery procedures, most of our vets and our home office inspectors in the UK require us to use drapes. Mm -hmm. So if you're using a drape over your brand new mouse monitor machine, you've now excluded the use of the pads because you've covered them with a the drape. But having the external probes in that scenario is, is going to be very handy for a lot of people, I think. It's a good point. Okay, maybe moving in a different direction, we've had some questions about hydration. James, this goes back to uh, a few slides where you're talking about, uh, again, just the importance of fluid maintenance. But could you maybe even by sharing your best practices in this technique, is it a combination of uh, delivery beforehand and maintenance during, or maybe even re referencing some of the specific disease models, like if, you're, if you are conducting an MI, is it different? Yeah, it's very interesting that we've spent, as you know, Andy, many years working with SciSense in mm -hmm. helping them put together the Advantage system. And with all conductance catheter systems, they are very dependent on the conductivity of the blood. While maintaining blood pressure is very handy by infusing saline or other solutions, almost all of them will affect blood resistivity or conductivity. Mm -hmm. um, and while we were working with SciSense in the past, we certainly did some trials for them where we put in intravenous lines and perfused various both colloid and, and crystalloid solutions. And in almost all cases, we saw changes in the PV signal despite the fact that there were very small changes in pressure. Mm -hmm. So I mean, it's actually something we're working on at the moment in a, a model of hemorrhage. Uh, trying to measure PV in a model of, of rehydrated hemorrhage is actually quite mm -hmm. hard because you're replacing significant blood volume with a non-conducting or a superconducting solution. In most situations, you'll be requiring your PV in a very short duration. You won't be sitting there for five hours under anesthetic analyzing data. So in most cases, we uh, do an IP injection prior to surgery starting, and we work as blood-free as, as we possibly can do. And we, t we tend to get uh, systolic blood pressures between 100 and 120, so we haven't really got a big problem with that. Mm -hmm. um, I know if you're doing carotid artery cannulation and, and the more invasive procedures that leak a bit, you may have to give a little bit more IP. But we, as a division, we've certainly moved away from doing intravenous perfusions simply mm -hmm. because of the dilation factor with the blood. Well, I, I don't know if that answers the question, but certainly best practice mm -hmm. for me would not be to infuse intravenously, and I know that disagrees with some of my colleagues. Yeah, I, I was going to say, it's certainly it seems like one of those subjects where it, there's not an official stance. There are different ways people can approach it, and it probably is the case that it is dependent on the research model that one is doing, you know, because you bring up a good point, uh, again, as it relates to PV loop measurements, uh, last practice, and, and we actually somewhat talked about this in the last session, but just to go back and very quickly recap that, it was the you know, the step of measuring blood resistivity, you know, using whatever probe or measuring device comes with your, your PV system, because they all have them. And they're there for this type of reason, you know, as an example, in a hemorrhagic shock protocol, you're going to have a drastic change 
to the blood resistivity. So I think the message is, just as they answered with that, like measure it and measure it as frequently as you can and should do as based on your experimental protocol. Pay attention to fluid infusion in the same way. Do it to maintain physiology, but be aware that, uh, yeah, overhydration or, and you had that slide about infusing, you know, basically too much fluids and having these super mice. It goes on the same accord, right? We have to pay t close attention. And if anything, in the mouse model, its degree of error is tighter. That one must work within, but it's pay attention as best as you can and manage it to your own protocol. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that a saline perfused preparation like a Langendorf heart becomes edematous over time. And we accept that when we do our work. But if you yes. are recovering, if you are recovering a mouse and returning it to its cage and expecting an infarction or remodeling event to take place, you don't want to put it back into its cage with a, with an edematous heart caused by overperfusion or, or overpressure. Very good. Well, in the interest of time, I'm going to ask just one final quick question. Graham, this one's for you, and then we'll end the Q&A, at least the live session. And as a reminder, everybody, that this information will be transcribed and available for download. But just about changing what can be viewed on the mouse monitor on the tablet, one can look at, um, basically, can you plot the heart rate and the core temperature over time? You know, so like usually you have this information statically on the right bar. But uh, is it exclusively that the screen, when you're recording, will be used for ECG traces? Yes. Just like uh, we've seen on many clinical uh, monitors, we've made the decision to have all of the plots in the waveform area stay in the same time domain. Uh -huh. And so that would create a heart rate and a core temperature that don't change very much relative to the ECG. And so we've chosen not to provide those as plots that you can have in the waveform area. Okay. Uh, and, and that type of, you know, long-term meta-analysis is probably better served uh, on a data acquisition setup. I was going to say, so the, the solution is there as a, in it, like in as, it, with an integrated mo or system to your data acquisition, which everyone will have anyways. But as far as the tablet goes, that's what the graph is defined, or it, that's its purpose. Is, is yeah, really pretty and easy. if you want to do that, obviously it's a little bit more involved, but you could uh, play back a recording and you could visually check your, your temperature and your heart rate. You know, by scrolling through the file, you'll notice that what those values are as you go through the file. So it's something mm -hmm. that you can quickly determine on the device, mm -hmm. uh, but it's not supported in a plot. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you will tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. For the full webinar, please see the link in the description. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time.